the Brothers Grimm tell a fairy tale of a family, a mother, a dad, children, and also a grandfather who was living in the house with him. The grandfather was feeble. His, his hands would often shake, meaning at the dinner table he would often spill his meal and make a mess. And finally the wife just had enough. And she said, I can't take it anymore. And she looked at her husband and said, your dad makes such a mess at the table that I just can't take it. The, the table should be a place where we come and we rest and we enjoy and I just can't do it anymore. It's so gross. So she set up another table over in the corner of the kitchen where she asked her father-in-law to eat every night. So every night the family would meet for dinner and the grandfather would go and would sit by himself. And over in that corner of his table, he would continue to make a mess. His hands would shake. He was feeble. And there was one time he spilt his soup and spilt his meal all over the floor. And she, the, the wife just let out this shriek and said, I can't take this anymore. If you want to eat like a pig, then we're going to have you eat like a pig. So she made a trough and set it over in the corner. So every night they would put his food in the trough and the grandfather would eat out of the trough. And then there was a night that they were about to eat dinner and they couldn't find their son and the son was outside playing. So the father went out and asked the son, told the son, it's time to come in for dinner and noticed the son was down on the ground and had hammer and nails and some wood. And the, the father said, son, what are you making? And the son said, dad, I'm making a trough for you and mom for when you get older. <laughs> and that night they walked in and brought the grandfather back to the table where he would remain for the rest of their lives. Uh, this is a really exciting day for me I, I, and for us as a church to have a stage full of newborns and new, new children we have welcomed into families. I also want to welcome those who are joining us on live stream. We have people in their homes and hospital rooms and on the roads driving who are tuning into the service. I always think and pray for those in this day where it may be a hard day for you, some single folks or women who have not been able to have children for whatever reason, and I'm just glad you're here. This is a day for a church that is so much more than just recognizing and celebrating 18 cute babies, though all the grandparents in the room are like, this day is about celebrating cute babies. It's, it's more than that. This is a day about generational integrity and generational care. For the 18, 17 who were on the stage, for the 18 babies and children we have welcomed into our families over the last year, for so many people in this room, the way they see you model life is going to reveal to them so much about God and about life and how they deal with the world and how they think about the world. So there's generational integrity and generational care on all of us. And the Bible takes this so seriously. Some people teach that one reason the Bible repeats over and over again that God is the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see this over and over again. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three generations. And some people teach that one of the reasons this shows up over and over and over again is because it takes three generations to develop a new culture. Often three generations to break cycles. Three generations to create movement. And this is what God is doing. It's generational care, generational integrity. And also that the 18 babies we have blessed today most likely are going to be taking care of many of us one day, right? And the way we care for them may impact how they care for many of us one day. I'm in a series, a four-part series called Priorities. We're looking at the Ten Commandments in Exodus 19 and Exodus 20. 
Last week I talked to you, and if you weren't here, I encourage you to jump on a podcast and listen to it. I try to lay a foundation for the next few weeks, and just talking about priorities, I think especially the beginning of the year is a time where many of us are thinking about priorities. And one thing I challenge you with is a lot of times how we think about life is that we we, uh, want our priorities in check, so we have God number one, family number two, and the list goes on. And I encourage you, God God doesn't have a desire to be a priority in your life, but to be the priority in your life. He doesn't just want to be number one out of five. He wants to be everything you do comes under the umbrella of who God is. And I taught last week that even when it comes to the Ten Commandments, that Exodus 19, many of the uh, traditions that are a part of Jewish weddings today come from Exodus 19 right before the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. And one thing God does in Exodus 19 is he provides a covering. He provides a hoopah that he invites all the people to come under. In Exodus 19, it is a thick cloud that all of the people are invited under, and it's there that God invites people into relationship. So in Jewish weddings today, there's a hoopah that has no walls. Because Jews teach it as you enter into a marriage, it is not just for two people to learn to live together. It's open. The, The walls are open. Marriage is supposed to be a witness to the world of God's faithfulness. So many people, many Jews teach that Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments, it's God reciting vows with people, which begin with, hey, no other gods but me. I want to be the only one. So Exodus 19 is inviting people into relationship, and I love the image of having this hoopah up here representing the covenant, the covering, where God invites people into relationship. I love having this up here while we had all these families on the stage. Because when it came to the Ten Commandments, God didn't just say, hey, only the men come up to the mountain as I give you the law. And it wasn't just the primary leaders. It was all people invited to the mountain to receive from God. So from Exodus 20 through the rest of Exodus, through all of Leviticus, through almost half of Numbers, all of that happens within an 11-month period where all the people are at the mountain hearing from God. It's pretty remarkable, right? I get the image of moms holding their newborns, coming up to the mountain as God invites them into relationship. I have an image of fathers having three-year-old sons up on their shoulders as they are all coming up to the mountain as families to receive from God this invitation into relationship. So for years, here's how I've taught the Ten Commandments. Uh, The way I kind of break them up is the Ten Commandments begin with three that are focused on God, if you go to that next slide. So the first three are about God. So no other gods but me. And then God says, no idols with me, so you don't bow to anything else but me. And then God, the third commandment is, don't misuse the name of God. You honor the name of God, the name of the Lord, Yahweh. So the first three are focused on God. The last six are about relationships. So you honor your mom and dad. You don't commit adultery. You don't murder. You don't steal. You don't covet. You don't bear false witness. So the way I've taught this for years and the way I've interpreted the Ten Commandments, first three are about God. The last six are about relationships. And it's command number four that holds everything together. So command number four is keep the Sabbath. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Sabbath, and especially for the 18 families and and families. This is so vital for you because how we honor rest. Now, I I, I don't 
expect or anticipate people to leave this room today making radical changes in your life and that you're going to begin this next week honoring a 24-hour period in your life where it's the Sabbath and you're not going to do anything else and you're going to say no to everything in the world. But I do hope I can encourage you to take seriously what it means to develop a pace in your life and rest in your life that is sustainable to you and helpful because for them it was command number four, honoring it, that kept them connected to God and that helped them stay connected to all people. Are you with me? So I sat with the Jewish rabbi a couple of weeks ago. And we're sitting there at Blue Plate as he's eating some oatmeal and some fruit. And I'm eating some pancakes with banana and peanut butter syrup with some bacon. I asked him if it was okay for me to order some bacon. I don't like my pancakes to be alone, all right? I like to eat my pancakes the way Jesus did after the church was birthed, all right? Acts chapter 10, when that sheet came down in Peter's vision, it was pork ribs and bacon, all right? The Greek tells us that. So I'm sitting there, and I'm eating pancakes and bacon, and I start talking to him about the Ten Commandments, and I said, Rabbi Micah, here's how I've thought about the Ten Commandments, and here's how I've taught the Ten Commandments for years. First three are about God. The last six are about relationships and honoring the Sabbath. Being able to say no to things in the world is what connects us and reminds us of who God is, and it's what teaches us to love neighbors. And Rabbi Michael looked at me and he said, I'm not going to disagree with you. That's a really good take on the Ten Commandments. I don't see anything wrong preaching it that way. He said, but I have taught it differently for years. And I'm like, well, tell me how you teach it. And he said, well, the way I teach it is the first four commandments are about God. They're focused on God, keeping you connected to God, so everything from no other gods but me, no idols, uh, I'm the only one you bow down to, you honor my name, don't misuse my name, and you keep the Sabbath, those are all focused on God. And he said, and then I teach that the last five are about relationships, so you don't murder people, you don't commit adultery, you don't steal. And he said, the way I teach it is, command number five is what holds everything together, that you honor your father and your mother. He said, and I teach it that way for two reasons. Number one, it's the only command that comes with the promise. And he said, number two, it's the way I teach it, many Jews teach it, is this. That mothers and fathers have the responsibility of opening up God's new world to the next generation. They're the ones that open up the window so that the next generation can see who God is and can see life modeled of what it means to love neighbors as yourself. Now, if I were to take a vote in here, I know you would choose my interpretation over Rabbi Micah's and that it would be unanimous in the room today. But I want to teach it today in honor of everything we've done. As commandment number four and five. Come together as moms and dads and for those of us who don't even have families but we're committed to generational care and generational integrity. That four and five, honoring these and focusing on them keeps us connected to God and connected to the world. Because we're in a rat race, right? And it's so easy to get caught up in this. And not just to get caught up in this rat race that can become so chaotic in life. We also contribute to it. From 1968 to 1988, the average American added 168 hours to their annual workload. That means from 1968 to 1988, the average American added another month of work onto their 12-month calendar of work. And you look throughout the history of our country, when the family began to experience major erosion and divorce rates spiked, it's around that same time. Now, I'm not advocating for a lazy work ethic. 
I think Christians should have the best work ethic. We should be the ones who don't just show up to work on time, but a little early. We should be the ones that our bosses don't have to worry about if we're playing around on Facebook or not doing our job. We should have great work ethic. But God invites us into a rhythm and to a pace that can sustain the times. Barbara Bush once said, she said, uh, success does not depend on, what, depend on what happens at the White House, but what happens in your house. So matter what, no matter what your pace is or where your pace, or why your pace is, what it is, this sermon today is, is for all of you. So let's look at Sabbath, uh, commandment number four. And here's how God talks about the Sabbath. So of all the Ten Commandments, Sabbath is the one that gets the most words from God. Like a lot of the commandments are basically just one statement, like don't commit adultery, don't murder. Commandment number two about idolatry gets a little explanation. And commandment number four about Sabbath gets some explanation. It goes like this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. For on it you shall not do any work. And listen to this. Neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Because I think God knew it would be easy for them to say, hey, okay, me and my people are going to rest, but we're going to demand our slaves and animals to keep the work, to keep production going, because we don't want everything to take a time off. God's saying everything in your care rests. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Sometimes people think about the Sabbath as a sanctuary of time. Rabbi Micah, this Jewish rabbi is with, says he often thinks about the Sabbath as once a week we are commanded to go on strike. That we say no to things so that we can say yes to God. I asked Rabbi Micah, I said, every time I preach about the Sabbath or about Sabbath rest, one, my wife usually like shakes her head no the whole time because I'm not the best at this. But also, uh, people come up to me and they're like, uh, help me because I know some of you have professions where for you to like not answer your cell phone for 24 hours could mean thousands of dollars could be on the line. I've had great conversations about Sabbath with real estate agents and people connected to fitness and other things that demand a lot of your time and you have clients under your care. Uh, but how do we honor some kind of rest and pace? Because if we don't honor and think about it, what happens is this. Time begins to control us. And we may think a lot about time management, but when we think about time management, how often do we think that God is the one who set up a pace of life? In fact, when God gives this, this command, in commandment number four, he says, hey, because I created for six days, and then I rested, and you should follow what I did. And I've talked about this before, like how tired was God after creating the world for six days? Like it doesn't look like God's that tired or dehydrated or that his muscles are sore, yet God was setting an example for, for people. Here's what you do. You work, you rest, you play. And you learn how to have this rhythm that honors all of that. Rabbi Micah, I asked him, I said, do you have people in your church who come up to you when it comes to talking about the Sabbath and they struggle with it? And he's like, Josh, no, but you have to remember, for many of my people, like when we were growing up, we didn't choose the Sabbath. We grew up in families where that's just what you did. 
was like, well, man, let me break it down like this in real practical ways. On Saturday, they're college football games. That's when most people have birthday parties. That's when the large majority of weddings take place. He's like, I know. And there's some Jews who honor Sabbath differently than others. In fact, in the times of Jesus, there were around 1,500 commands that were placed on top of the command of keeping the Sabbath, of things you could do and things you could not do. And he said for him, like, he doesn't do weddings on the Sabbath until the sun goes down. Imagine how hard that is in June, July, and August. The sun going to go down until 8.30 or 9. He says, there are times I'll either do a wedding at 9 or we just wait until another day to do a wedding. He says, but he was raised in a way where the Sabbath was not, it was, it was something you looked forward to. It wasn't a burden, which is how God meant it to be. That rest would be something that we look forward to. It's not a burden, it's a gift. That God blessed the day before God blessed the space, before God gave people a place to worship. God blessed a day and hallowed a day and said, this day right here, a time when you say no to the world, this, this, this is a blessing for you. But can we just be honest? Like, we resist rest, right? We just blessed 17 kids on this stage, 17 babies. And maybe there's an exception or two that were up on the stage today, but I, I would bet that the large majority of them resist rest. Have you heard babies cry themselves asleep before? And, like, there's something about going to sleep that we resist. My kids, my two boys, they're 11 and 9. But most of the time, the most mad they get at me is whenever I say, hey, guys, time to go to bed. And they just resist this. Like, you are a monster telling us we have to go to bed. But we do this as adults, too. Stay up late, wake up early. And somehow, some way, we've convinced ourselves that if we take time to rest, it's lazy and we're not being productive. But, but we begin selling out to a rhythm that isn't the pace God has for us. We resist it. Let, let me walk you through something real quick. Can we go to that next slide? Here's some things I want in my own life. Innovation, ambition, doing whatever it takes to get there, commitment to the grind, appetite for more. And, and I, did, I could go each, through each one of those, of what that would mean for my life. I mean, innovation, the chance I get to walk with people, trying to think through what a life with God looks like for you. And an appetite for more. Many of you, even in your own business, you can think about things like this. Innovation, ambition, whatever it takes. But, but, but here's the thing. Follow me here just for a moment. This right here, if you go to the next slide. This was the pace of Egypt. Not the pace God was giving people for a free land. The pace of Egypt was build new cities and build them fast. And don't just build cities, you make them beautiful. And it was about advancement and, and exploration and demanding of slaves and needing slaves to do even more to accomplish what it is they wanted to accomplish. And way too often, we sell out to the rhythm of Egypt, not the rhythm of God's free land. So, so one of the reasons God is talking to these people on the mountain under this covering is that when he gives them the Ten Commandments, these, these people have... Just come out of, they're like 60 to 90 days coming out of slavery. And God wants them to know. He says, remember the Sabbath. And I don't know if that was something the Egyptians let them practice in Egypt or not. But he says, remember this. Because God didn't want them taking that same kind of pace of life into a new land. So the pace of life he gave them was, you work your tail off, but you also value rest. 
Sometimes people ask me, well, Josh, when you talk about the Sabbath or you read a command like the Sabbath, if I don't obey the Sabbath, is it a sin? I think my response would be no. I mean, the New Testament doesn't demand that the people of God keep the Sabbath. But I would encourage people, it sure does make for a better life for you and everyone around you when you take seriously the pace of life that you are on and the pace God has for you, which flows right into command number five. Honor your father and mother. And the way command five goes is you honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land your God is giving you. I don't think that that this is God saying if you honor your mom and dad that you won't get sick or die young or have cancer. I think it is God saying when the family is functioning the way God intended the family to function, life sure is better for everybody. Amen? So you honor your father and your mother. Now, I don't think God is just giving this command to children to honor your father and mother. I also, I also think it's responsibility and a burden that's placed on parents. And I think for every parent represented in the room today, my encouragement and challenge to you would be this. Live your life, no matter how old you are, live your life in a way that honoring you is easy, not difficult. All right? Live your life in a way where having your children honor you is easy, not difficult. Because let's be honest, some of you have made honoring you really difficult. You're combative. You're way too stressed out. You've bring, you have brought your stress from work and you've placed it on your family. And today may need to be a day that many of us repent of this and say, hey, we've, we've, got, to do, we've, we've got to model a better way for the, the people under us. One of the best disciplines, I think most important disciplines I have in my life is when I leave work, I have about a 9 to 11 minute drive home. And no matter what kind of day I've had, if it was stressful, if there were heavy burdens I was carrying, I know that how I spend that 9 or 11 minutes on my drive home means a lot for how I'm going to treat my wife and my kids when I get home. So I try to take 10 minutes where I center my heart and prepare myself so that when I get home, I'm not placing any kind of stress or burden upon them. And there have been times as a dad here in the last 11 or 12 years, in fact, a few weeks ago, I had to sit my family down and just say, hey, I don't like the way my attitude's been the last few days. And I've taken out some stuff on you guys, and I'm just, I'm really sorry, and I want to try better. For all the new families and young families in here, I think one of the biggest challenges you have is that new life, babies, children are coming into your family at the same time where you have career ambition in your mind. And if we don't take seriously how we put together a pace and allow those two things to dance, we're going to end up making decisions or we continue to choose career ambition with the neglect of trying to take care of this new, brand new family we've been given. I've never sat with someone on their deathbed who said, I wish, if I could go back, I wish I could work more. I sit with people who say, if I could go back, I would have spent a little more time with my spouse or a little more time with my children. Not as much time working on work, but, but thinking about how I'm pouring into those who are closest to me. Rick Ashley, my good friend, says this. People of character resist the temptation to compromise their values in order to secure their future. Some of you in this room, some young families here, you just need someone to give you some permission. And especially moms, though there are dads who would be included in this. 
You need somebody in an authoritative position to give you permission. Permission to take a nap instead of doing that next pile of laundry. Permission to reach out for help and ask for help when you're in need of it. There were times I would come home from a speaking engagement early on when, we, when our kids were young, when No was an infant and True was two or three, or I would come home from a long day of work or maybe an elders meeting, and I would walk in the door, and Casey would be standing there, beautiful but exhausted. And there were times where maybe a third of her hair was still in a bun, and then some of her hair was kind of over the shoulder, and some of her hair was like pointing up to Jesus, and applesauce running over the shoulder and baby food down the right side and stains over her sweater. And I'd say, baby, what do you need? And she would say, I just want to take a shower. I just want 30 minutes with a door locked in the shower. And that wasn't the time for me to say, well, baby, I had a long day, too. I mean, I was hoping to just come home and play some college football on Xbox or take a bubble bath or something, you know, just a shower. And some of you need permission to take care of yourself so you have something to give to others. I told you before, when my, whenever I would leave in high school, whenever I would go to parties on weekends or go to hang out with friends, my mother would meet me at the door. And she would give me a big hug, and my mom's always been a lot shorter than I am. She would give me a big hug, and she would say the same thing every single time. She said, tonight, you remember whose you are. You were God, and you were mine. And I'm, I'm asking you to act like it. And how can you go out and do something crazy when your mother speaks that blessing over you? Church, you were God's. Jesus died for you. And together, we are trying to pour into this next generation so that they know the goal of their life is not to, to grow up to be a good citizen who never breaks the law. The goal of the church is to raise up a generation who has a deep love and deep affections for Jesus. So that they take seriously what it means to love neighbors and to spread the good news of Jesus all over the world. If there's a need in your life, if there's a prayer, we can pray over you. If there's someone here that today you want to surrender your life, give your life to Jesus, confess Him as Lord, be baptized into Christ, we we'll invite you to come to the front. We're also going to have prayer leaders who will surround this room. In fact, if you will go ahead and go to your places today so people can see where you are. We have male and female prayer leaders who are here to receive you and to pray blessings over you. Let's stand together as a church and let's sing a song. Come on.